Welcome to the latest edition of the Forward Thinking CFO podcast. This time we're going to have a slight variation from the usual show format and I'm going to talk to a couple of my colleagues. We're going to have a bit of a review of the recent past and get their views on how our clients have been handling that, what we've been seeing and what sort of things we should be thinking about for the coming year. So without further ado, let's get on with the podcast. Today with me, I have my two fellow directors at New Meritas. That's Denver McCann. Hi, Denver. Hi, Stephen. And Tushar Naik. Hello, Tush. Hi, Stephen. So we thought we'd uh, sort of have a roundtable discussion here about some of the things that have impacted on us in recent times. Of course, we've been through a lot of turmoil lately with, well, firstly, Brexit, and uh, we thought that was tumultuous. And then, of course, there's been... Uh, the pandemic and the war in Ukraine following hot on the heels of those things. So, so I guess, you know, a fair question that people might ask is to what extent is sort of forecasting and so on we do still valuable when you've got those kind of shocks uh, coming along, which obviously have a major impact. So first of all, am I right in thinking that before about 2020, the number of models that we've seen with pandemic as a scenario or war as a scenario are pretty limited. <laughs> Can you remember any? No, I think um, my experience has been that those kinds of, uh, you know, call them black swan events or, or kind of like sort of out of the box events aren't well covered at all. Or, or really, if it's if it has been covered, it's usually limited to some sort of doomsday working to capital scenario as part of a transaction where that might need to be covered but then in those type of situations, usually there's some sort of mitigating circumstances that, you've, that, have been, that have been dropped into the model to say, yes, sales might fall off a cliff, but actually we've got all these things, which would mean we're fine off the back end of it. Yeah, okay. So, I mean, um, I guess uh, that, that's not an unreasonable point. I was, we were chatting earlier and I was talking about the idea of models and algorithms now being seen as being more reliable forecasts effectively than people often are because people are subject to emotions and noise and and all sorts and there's so there's research which shows that for a lot of things fairly simple judgments certainly that a model of you is better than you a lot of the time which is slightly bizarre but then there's this thing called the uh, sort of broken leg factor which is you know if you've got a forecast that's about how frequently something occurs like how often people go to the cinema was the example used in this case. If somebody breaks their leg, then they're not going to be going to the cinema. So it's the same kind of thing. It's sort of there are things which you don't expect to build into a model because everything changes. I suppose if you look at what happened during the lockdowns, first of all, would we have predicted that, um, I mean, we probably wouldn't have predicted that there would have been lockdowns like that. I guess it's a one in a hundred year event that the pandemic, but would we have even imagined that we'd have the furlough scheme where people would be being paid for, for not working essentially by the government. So there are, in, in sort of disaster scenarios, there are usually mitigations that, you know, are just, just kind of developed in real time. Mm-hmm. So I suppose that, and, and most companies will have a disaster recovery plan. And that will, you know, so if the office burns down, then, you know, there'll be some arrangement for you. Well, these days, I'm not sure actually. <laughs> um, a lot of people aren't in offices anyway, but you know, I've certainly seen disaster recovery plans that have a site somewhere where if a location is long, where people normally work is no longer available, then they can relocate there at short notice. It's got all the systems backed up and they can be up and running again within 24 hours. So those sorts of things, you wouldn't feature that as 
as a modeling scenario because it's a kind of a physical disaster recovery. Exactly. And that stuff's been around for yeah, the last 30, 40 years. You know, DRP plans have been in place since forever. No one's ever bothered to really model them as real-world scenarios that they want to explore, purely because of the reason that they've got a plan to mitigate. Now, it may not be a perfect plan, <laughs> and it, you know, the end result may still be that there's a bit of a hole in, in your numbers, but you know, it, it's not something, you know, given how many factors and different things we need to consider in today's environment, you know, worrying about that disaster, you know, end of world view of things is, is probably less, less relevant. But what those policies do instill is there is a plan in place for when something bad does happen. So not, you wouldn't necessarily going forward assume that all for all your forecasting models should have a doomsday scenario in it as a basis and you should be tracking that on a on a however frequent basis you want but there should be a plan in place to enable you to track your cash cover your interest interest expenses track your covenants at a much more granular level if there was a a a new pandemic or something of that magnitude that does impact your business. So I guess it's just making sure you have the tools and resources available so that when you do need to flick that switch, they are available. Yes, there's a whole lot of stuff that relating to risk management that goes on outside of a a, a model, isn't there? And you should have a proper risk register and and a a plan for, you know, consider what could impact on our business. You wouldn't necessarily include all those in the model because some of them will be, like say, have a disaster recovery plan. There'll be insurance to cover some of them. So yes, you'd have the insurance premiums in there, but you wouldn't try to think through everything that occurs as a scenario necessarily. Yeah. But I think you know all of these events that we've just been talking about in terms of pandemic and Ukraine uncertainty and and those sorts of things. I think the one thing we are seeing a lot more of is a change in the mindset about how people are planning and forecasting and assessing risks through their forecasting tools. And I think the thing that's that's the transition that we've seen is that it's gone from being a very infrequent once or twice or maybe four times a year kind of refresh of the forecast. And for that to be almost a a singular version of reality to being something where it's happening, you know, monthly with much higher frequency per annum. And it's also not being done against one fixed scenario. It's being done against four or five different potential scenarios, which are considering different strategic directions you could go in to mitigate against different you know, potential challenges the business might face. So people are looking at a lot more data points and a lot more frequently than they ever did before. Because they're definitely on that frequency point. I think at the beginning of the pandemic and during all the lockdowns, I think we saw a lot of clients come through that wanted something quickly, a model. Well, they may already have an existing model, but that model wasn't at a granular level or wasn't frequent enough for them to be tracking uh, cash on a weekly basis, for example. So, And then what we have seen coming out of the pandemic and more recently is actually those tools, they haven't been downs, they haven't got rid of them because they're back to steady state again. They've added that into their usual process and their their daily forecasting activities or their monthly forecast forecasting activities so definitely the frequency of looking at numbers looking at your forecast has has well from what what i've seen has has increased across a lot of our clients yes i mean i think um there are quite a lot of businesses that were forced to change their 
business model in terms of you know, the way they operate really quite quickly when people started locking down and that sort of thing. So there were people who were wholesalers delivering stuff to restaurants that suddenly you know, there was no market. So they started delivering direct to homes and things like that. And a lot of people had to be quite fleet of foot to recover. Did we see, or are you aware of anyone that used a model for, for that or something like that? You know, maybe we built a model before and uh, it was pressed into service to, to look at those kind of scenarios or did you come across anything like that? Yeah, I mean, things, this is something that both, I guess, both Tush and I have, have close experience with. One of our clients was a high street retailer in the clothing sort of sector. They, early doors, as the pandemic kicked off, took a view that actually the uh, the private equity owners wanted to exit. And they went through a process, start to end, in the middle of COVID lockdowns, which took them, I think it was at six to eight weeks, from no deal to getting the business sold to a new owner. And then very quickly thereafter, that own, new owner took the business virtual, took it online, took it out of the high street, no more stores, and moved to a purely online business model. Now, we weren't part of that second phase, but the model that we had built for that business was key to that transaction happening in a very, very short time frame. Yeah, I think that goes back to that point of having the tools and resources available in events like this so that you can quickly act on transactions or opportunities that crop your way in such a, in, in a short space of time. I mean, we all know usually when we get signed on to a transaction of some sort, it's usually midway through the process or at the end and need a model very quickly. When in reality, especially models that underpin a transaction take a long time. And the fact they have that they're already awaiting allowed that probably allowed that transaction to go ahead so quickly in the first place. Has there been any change in attitude towards models? Because I, I mean, we're, we're preaching to the converted in this room, but having a, a model that represents your business, which is kind of a simulator, so you can try things out in a safe environment and see what sort of impact it has. I mean, that's something we firmly believe in. But do you think there's, or I don't know if we've seen any evidence of it uh, in terms of some companies now thinking it would be good if we could play tunes on, on this sort of thing yeah, when something a bit unexpected comes along or if, if there's a, maybe a, there's an opportunity, then we want to be able to test that out. Are you aware of any change in sort of attitudes or is it just, yeah, we're still talking to clients and they were already converts? No, I think there's definitely been a case whereby people have seen the way it has been done correctly through friends, through family, through other colleagues. And as a result of word of mouth, they've seen that again, fine. They managed to traverse that unsteady period because they had something in place that allowed them to manage their business well, whether that be a system or whether that be a model. It's by the by, it's the fact that they had something in place that allowed them to quickly, agilely reforecast their position and track what's happening with the business. So I think then as a result, I feel like we've definitely seen more people come through the door saying, oh, we saw this tool or this model in another client. Is this something you could do for us? So, yeah, I would say definitely there's probably been a small change in attitude to, to models in general, but help helping the business through. Yeah, I think just to add to that, it's just, it feels like it's a step up in maturity around understanding just how useful these things can be if you have them set up such that it can support the speed at with which new information is coming in the door and the speed with which you need to make adjustments to what you're doing in terms of managing your business. And that's always the the kind of the biggest challenge is, is trying to right size 
for a particular client, the needs of, I need lots of levers, lots of granularity and lots of detail. But at the same point in time, they want quick decisions, quick answers. And those two don't always mix well together. So it's finding that right balance and saying, well, let's simplify the input data a little bit such that it's easy for you to get that data on a weekly or monthly basis. And it doesn't create a, its own cottage industry of effort and you know, chaos just to get that answer. Have a, a slightly less accurate result, but do it regularly and do it properly and allow yourself the time to then consider what do we do? How do we deal with what picture this is presenting to us? So I think that's becoming a much more valued kind of tool set. And people are also realizing, oh dear, we don't actually have that. So how do we go about getting it? We either rebuild it ourselves if we have the time, or we need to go find someone who can help us to do that. I think also to add to that point, I think nowadays, I think people are getting more and more aware of how much data they actually have on their hands through their systems out of whatever new system has been implemented that is churning out more and more data for them on a, on a monthly data basis. So I think people are now realizing that actually, how can we use this data a bit better from a, not just a BI point of view, a visualization point of view, more so we have this data, let's use it to forecast a business in a bit, in, in a much more granular detail. Um, and they may not necessarily have the tools there ready available to use that data. Yeah, I think it's always a key part of the planning and design of a model, isn't it? That we spend a lot of time on figuring out what's the right level of detail to include in the model. And there's a, a phrase of being you know, roughly right rather than precisely wrong. Uh, I have seen models over the long time I've been doing this where you know, occasionally there's just so much detail that's gone into it. And you know, this is often driven by companies who, who see, oh, well, yes, you can include that can we add some more detail and well this is how it works so we better model that precisely and, and so on and it ends up growing to be a bit of a beast and then it gets almost so complicated that unless you were there when it was designed so you know if it's been built by a consultant it's handed over and then the company is reliant on the person that was involved in the design stage and if they leave or move on to a different job then it just gets put on the shelf and not really used again because it's so complex nobody else can pick it up. So it is an important element of, of the design process, isn't it, sometimes to sort of restrain the desire to model every last detail because you know, that's, uh, that's going to make it less easy to use and, and maybe less easy to update. You need something that... And I think what, coming back to the point you made earlier, Denver, I think it was you said um, you know, the, the sort of frequency of updates, people are updating much more frequently. That sort of rolling forecast does mean that you need to, to be, the model needs to be easy to, to update. And yeah, you really want to be able to pull in your actuals easily each month and, and update the forecasts easily and, uh, and understand what's going on. Yeah. And, and I think that speed of execution of the refresh is so important because you've only got a certain amount of time and you're, you know, you've got all the day to day activities that a finance function normally deals with and helping the management team to look forward a little bit is is often left to the last so to speak because you're so busy saying well the, these are the management accounts for last month and and all that backwards looking stuff is great for for keeping score but it doesn't necessarily help look forward enough into the future to say oh what's what's coming down the road to us and, and have we got a clear view of, of what that looks like I hope you're enjoying this episode of the Forward Thinking CFO. Numeritas created this podcast as part of our mission to improve the way finance makes decisions, and I hope you find the conversations as useful and interesting as I do. 
We'd love to hear from you. Maybe you'd like to be a guest on the podcast or just talk privately about a forecasting or modelling challenge. Drop me a message through the contact form on our website at numeritas.co.uk and I'll get back to you. Now, back to the show. Are there any good examples of, and we've had a couple already, but any, anything else that stands out from you know, the last year or so, the, either the pandemic period or changes due to what we're expecting to see on interest rates and inflation, where uh, clients have benefited from a model or, or uh, it's been put into good use? Yeah, so I think one client stood out from the beginning of the pandemic all the way till now, and um, purely because uh, they came on board. Yep, at the beginning of the pandemic, it was a it was a fairly large manufacturing parts distributor business. They have regions all across Europe, um, so again, a lot of data and a system which was churning out a lot of this data. But in actual fact, as a result of what was happening in the as a result, as a result of what was happening in the environment sales actually took a massive plummet as you would expect so they needed to keep an eye on cash not just on a monthly basis is what they were doing but now all the way down to weekly and at some points daily and they just didn't have a tool or a model to allow them to use the data that they could extract from that system and plan where the holes are or when they were going to be large cash outflows and when they would need supports in which specific days or which specific weeks. So we came in and, and and very quickly put something together which effectively hoovered up the information from their system and then allowed them to produce six or seven reports per region, which they would then take into weekly meetings with the heads of those regions and basically plan the week ahead and make sure that they weren't going to trip up anything on covenants or, or, or the like. It stands out because they effectively decided actually that process is very valuable on an in for the whole business on an ongoing basis. So we're now that out the other end of the pandemic is hopefully business as usual now, but they still, they still using that model. They're still keeping track of it. They came back. They realized that what we put together at the time was sort of quick and dirty to get an answer in a very quick short time. But now we've gone back and made it better, prettier, a bit more agile to your point of making sure that the actuals go in quickly and they're not spending time sort of updating for, for actuals and yeah, they're not spending time on that. That is now a much slicker process and they're using, they're still doing this process on a, maybe not on a weekly basis now, but they're still holding these meetings with heads and planning for the weeks ahead. And I think it should, that it just goes to show of what we're talking about of whole changing attitudes to forecasting, changing attitudes to frequency of forecasting, changing attitudes to use of data. I think that was a direct impact of, of the pandemic. And I think it's definitely probably made their forecasting activities much better going forward now. Yeah, it's interesting that uh, the, the model is almost a catalyst to the planning process there yeah. as well as being the tool that, that makes it happen. And I think it's one of those things where it's not something I came up with. Rob, our non-exec, said this once in a meeting somewhere along the line. The more challenging times get, the more frequent your touch points and your kind of steps in, in, in kind of evaluating what are we doing, how are we doing it, what do we need to do. And in this particular case, looking at cash flow comes down to a weekly sort of drumbeat and obviously now as things get better maybe that goes to every fortnight or every once a month it's very easy then to if things get tricky again it's going to be very easy for them to ratchet back to the weekly calls and the weekly get-togethers using exactly the same tool set you've just tweaked the timing of how often and when so i think you know 
having an agile finance function which can can look at things like cash management and right size it based on the environment that you're in is the best way forward i think it's kind of funny how so the weekly forecasting has been i mean especially our retail clients they've been doing it for years now just as a result of what retail is going through what has been going through over the past few years so weekly cash forecasting is just part of the process for our retail clients but now we're seeing a lot more non-retail clients actually having these weekly cash flows whether that's as a result of a pandemic or not i'm not sure or or all of the other things that have been going on but it seems to be yeah much more sought after activity now than it was before and i feel yeah so it's almost like the the greater uncertainty of well i mean all of the various features we talked about the pandemic the and possibly the impacts of Brexit and now energy prices and inflation and so on is maybe focusing minds a bit more and, and uh, making them think about better forecasting. And, and we've seen people including, um, they, they may have already included things like inflation and, and so on in changes to interest rates and scenarios around that, but are those now important drivers? I would say the fact that the model, I think previously it inflation fx interest rates i think they were all previously treated in roughly the same way you can't really forecast it so your best option is to take what's what's happening at the moment and roll that out going forward whereas now there is definitely across all of the models that we're seeing a bit more focus on okay fine what's inflation now at the moment which is crazy high at the moment yeah and what is the expectation of that over the next two or three years because from where it is at the moment compared to the where it period everyone is expecting it to be even next year it's meant to be less than half of what it is at the moment we'll leave that to the economist to to say yay or nay to that but that has a huge impact on a lot of our businesses just that huge slide down over the next year and available cash next year to do all sorts of things like if they wanted to do, if, if they're looking at acquisitions or anything like that and that does have a huge impact on available cash so it's definitely more front of mind 100 percent. yeah and i think just from a, a slightly nerdy modeling perspective it's one of those things where i think you know in in past years people were quite happy to set you know annual inflation rates and annual interest rates that apply to a given year i think nowadays models are much more we need to be able to tweak those numbers month by month and you're right in saying that that profile could be that you know i want to see a scenario where inflation goes up to like eight nine percent for the next however many months and then drops back down to say maybe three or four percent i want to see interest rates going from whatever they are now in terms of base rate plus three plus four plus six percent you know let's let's see what the world could look like and how that sort of hits home in terms of covering debt uh, and interest payments and those are going to be very very kind of almost short-termist in some respects and much more volatile in terms of moving around yeah i mean i think we've always been of the mind that you don't go for a single point forecast you don't say the model is here's the answer here's what we think is going to happen one of the key reasons for building a model is to be able to test these scenarios and see what's the impact and to kind of understand the relationship between things like inflation and what the impact is on the well on cash and and just generally on the sort of reports financial reports going forward and um you know being able to anticipate that so so a model allows you to to test all that out and anticipate at what point do things start to get to be a problem and you know you try and take mitigating actions in advance of that happening so yeah that's all that's all good good to hear that um that's being uh 
recognized and picked up. Yeah. yeah, no, definitely. I think the more and more question. Well, I find it funny now that always get asked when when we come onto the point of inflation, and interest rates. Always the question is, oh, what are your other clients doing? What are your other clients doing in the uh, in the models? Which you would no one would ever have asked that before. Sort of all of this turmoil. No, but again, it's the uncertainty, isn't it? We, we've been through a fair amount of uncharted territory, and I guess everybody's sort of wondering what's doing, looking for some guidance. So, yeah, I mean, we are fortunate in that respect that we we see a lot of what various different companies are doing, and um, one of the uh, one of the reasons people hire consultants, isn't it? That um, you know they they kind of get, help them navigate times of uncertainty. Yeah, yeah, and um, yeah, sort of learn good practice from what's going on in in the market with other clients as well. That's a little <laughs> self plug for consultants there, <laughs> but um, yeah. Good. I think we covered quite a bit of the stuff that we were going to. Have you got any other last comments or thoughts that uh, we should wrap up with? So I think my only added kind of comment would be that now is the time to start trying to implement more agility and more um, ability to accelerate your business processes, um, be they cash flow forecasting, be they you know P&L and balance sheet forecasting, et cetera, et cetera. But just to up your game and to improve those they don't necessarily have to be things you engage consultants to to deliver for you you can do these things yourselves but it's all about just getting on that track and, and making sure that that you've can update with a higher frequency of sort of updating the inputs into whatever decision tools you have and then very quickly turn that around assess multiple potential scenarios and then use those as as a mechanism to engage in a debate with your fellow sort of management team to say how do we take this forward good stuff i think we covered everything uh, that we wanted to cover so uh let's uh let's hope you as listeners find that interesting do let us know what you think because it's a bit of an experiment for us to do a little internal chat like this if you've enjoyed it then let us know and if there are things you'd like to hear us talking about then please do let us know that as well and we'll uh, we'll set up other similar sessions so that's it from us at the forward thinking cfo podcast for this episode.